And that was the, probably the toughest part of my experience in Steamboat was that failed sale because the Triple Peaks folks had been, basically been in town for three months there physically in the offices, assuming that they were going to be the owners. And then bingo, they weren't. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Time for your 41st episode of Wintry Mix. I'm Alex Kaufman. Recording from the Vermont Public Radio Studios today. Help from my engineered man, Jake, over there. Thank you, Jake. My guest today, I could talk to for about a week straight. Thankfully, we don't have to since he wrote a book. We're going to talk about that book. It's called Ski Inc., My Journey Through Four Decades in the Ski Resort Business from the Founding Entrepreneurs to Mega Companies. The author, Chris Diamond, navigated himself from the Vietnam War to the marketing department of Killington before spending the 80s, 90s, and 2000s in the top jobs at Mount Snow and Steamboat. These were some revolutionary times in skiing, especially if you were trying to keep a certain gentleman named Les Otten satisfied. There's so much to come, so stay with us. Season 3 of Wintry Mix is supported by... Over 250 ski areas use Liftopia to reach millions of skiers and riders planning their trips. But what you might not know is that Liftopia's cloud store is also the most widely used e-commerce ticketing technology for ski area websites, with over 100 North American ski resorts using the platform. Your team, your strategy, your customers partnered with the best e-commerce support and technology in the industry. Visit Liftopia.com and click platform to learn more or email partners at liftopia.com to schedule a call today. All right, get on a plane, fly to Salt Lake City, and devour the powder at Snowbird in Little Cottonwood Canyon. With 500 inches average annual snowfall, seven-minute tram rides to the summit, and over 3,000 vertical feet, this will make your season. Check out fourth night free slopeside lodging options or visit with your Mountain Collective Pass. Snowbird.com is step one. Step two is follow Snowbird on social to stay stoked until you arrive. World Cup Supply has served the ski resort, race, and event industry since 1991. Visit worldcupsupply.com to see the complete selection of race gates, safety, and crowd control fencing, on-hill tools, poles, nets, you name it. If you are running a ski resort, an event, or an event at a ski resort, then trust World Cup Supply for the gear that ensures safety and success. And returning to episode 41 of Wintry Mix, I'm Alex Kaufman, and this time around, we have a gentleman named Chris Diamond who has had quite a career in the ski business and has brought us into the inside baseball a little bit with his new book, Ski Inc. Chris, you are here, correct? We've got you successfully? Uh, right here, Alex. And you're not in Colorado today. Where are you? <laughs> no, I'm in uh, Laguna Beach, California. The first time I've uh, taken a month of winter off, but uh, somewhat reluctantly, but in the interest of domestic harmony. I'm here for the month of January and then back to the deep snows of Steamboat Springs. Does it feel kind of weird? I mean, it feels weird to me when I'm like not in ski country in the winter. How does it kind of feel? I would say it's weird. It's it's just different. You know, this is it, it, something. Nice thing about Southern California is it's not 
it's not Florida. It never gets hot. Uh, you don't feel like you're in the tropics. It's kind of pleasant. So one thing that intrigued me from uh, digging into your book, and we've actually met a long, long time ago when I was working at Adatash. You came through uh, in a bit of a consulting uh, capacity in 2004 uh, and, and spoke to us and, and gave us some gave us some guidance. I don't expect you to remember that at all, of course. Um, but not a lot of ski stories start with Vietnam, but yours sort of does. Um, you pretty quickly came back from the war and ended up at Killington. Can you bring me back to that section in your life and that section in the book a little bit? As I tried to explain in the um, in the introduction, I actually started my experience in the ski business when I was in college at Middlebury, and then um, got to know people at Killington working, uh, you know, holidays and weekends. I was a scholarship kid, so uh, the money was uh, much appreciated, and I, I enjoyed it very much. It was my first real experience in a sort of resort culture, uh, albeit Vermont, uh, Killington, Vermont. So between finishing the major coursework for my master's at UMass and, and going um, to Augusta, Georgia for the service. It was a, a delay of uh, almost two months. So I wound up working in the marketing department uh, at Killington for a fellow by the name of Foster Chandler, who at the time was arguably the uh, brightest, uh, leading-edge uh, ski marketeer in the country. And, and uh, so it was an incredible experience, and as it turned out, my reporting date was postponed a couple times. So I wound up working for Foster for almost eight months. And short story, when I got out of the service a couple of years later, uh, I thought about going back to grad school and going on. Uh, in fact, I went up to the University of Manitoba, Winnipeg, where my former advisor from UMass had, uh, had relocated to as head of the department. But... I just wasn't ready, so wound up going back to Killington and interviewing um, with the president of the company and was hired by him. So that's really how it happened. Probably like most uh, guys, uh, class of 68, I was, uh, you know, I was doing whatever I could to not necessarily avoid service, but postpone it as long as possible uh, in the hope that the war would be over or that I'd wind up with mostly uh, reserve time. So. It didn't work out that way, but so be it. And you definitely had some trial by fire time there, right, at Killington, because Foster hired you or initially when, when, when you worked there, but he wasn't around that much longer, right? He kind of handed you the keys and left? Well, no, not quite like that, but uh, he stayed through um, the middle of March, and this was a time when Killington was growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, double-digit growth year after year, and it happened to be a huge snow year. And he hadn't had a vacation in four, literally four or five years. And basically, I showed up one day, and there was a long um, note on my desk, basically explaining that he was gone, didn't know when he was coming back. It turned out he basically went on a month-long ski trip uh, out west. And so I was in charge of the Killington Marketing Department at the age of, I don't know, 22 or 23, and... Uh, that was a wonderful trial by fire, but you know most of the work had been done. Frankly, you know, Mark, the, the marketeers do their hardest work in the summer and the fall, getting ready for the season. So my job was just to make the, make sure I, there wasn't a train wreck. But you know, that said, it was a fabulous experience. One, working for a guy like Foster, and then two, having that independent uh, learning experience. And then you were at Killington for a number of years before you uh, went to Mount Snow. Uh, how long was that? 
72 to 77. And then your first real long stint at a location as uh, the the top hat, um, Mount Snow. A lot was changing in, right. in the industry. Uh, a lot was changing in the Northeast. Well, I think what ch- what changed most was based, you know, the the first couple years that uh, Killington owned Mount Snow was an intense redevelopment uh, period. You know, Mount Snow had had been bankrupt, and uh, you know they were just shopping the place for sale and not spending any money. And prior to their foreclosure, not much had been happening at Mount Snow. So we had a huge task to take the resort that had a it had experienced a significant loss of market share and had some very tired old facilities and bring them up to date. And the book does go into into some detail on that. But those first couple of years, you know, ninety excuse me, seventy seven uh, up to eighty, eighty one, that period was one of, you know, Busy construction, um, major maintenance, major organizational uh, development in terms of bringing on new people. That was a very exciting time for me. And and being so young uh, and, and, uh, again, learning pretty much uh, on the fly, uh, it was a great time. Some of the the best parts of the book for me when I went through it was um, running into characters that, that I know at least a little bit. So Bruce McCloy was the first one that I came across at Mount Snow, and the story that you tell about him uh, yeah. with the guest, um, something about a lift evac, that was a great story. Well, that was, uh, there was one particular, one season pass holder who just had a, a reputation for being, it seemed just high maintenance, you know, in our business, that just, you deal with that, and uh, she was a wonderful Mount Snow supporter, but just difficult to manage, and this particular lift uh uh, story had to do with an evacuation on a you know, 7,200 foot fixed grip triple chair, which you know happened at a time of year when there there wasn't a lot of natural snow, so getting people off the hill was problematic. But that said, it was pretty much pulled off without any incidents. The the day after this happened, this uh, this lady showed up at the front desk uh, calling for Bruce, and when she did, she would stand there and literally yell for Bruce top of her lungs, not um, willing to deal with any administrative folks. She wanted always to talk to Bruce. So Bruce went up and she explained how she'd been um, on that lift that day and what an awful experience it had been. Uh, And somehow, after going through this awful experience, she was lowered to the ground. Uh, Her friend, Gloria Levine, got a complimentary lift ticket. Um, And somehow, she did not. And she basically demanded Bruce to issue her a comp ticket. Um, Bruce stood there for a moment. I happened to be overhearing this because I was just down the hall. And he basically he said, "You, ma'am, you, you just made my day. You know, I was there yesterday. I evacuated Gloria Levine, and you were there. And she just put on her heels and marched right out the door. And to me, that was a Mount Snow moment. You know, like a difficult customer, but dealt with fairly. But we all had uh, all had something of a great laugh about it. it was just and Bruce, you know, just handled it beautifully. So many years of modernizing Mount Snow uh, on your resume, and then all of a sudden you're part of ASC, and then all of a sudden they acquire Steamboat, and then. You're meeting less out there. I mean, I boiled down a lot of time, obviously, in that 
in that capsule. But um, your first interactions with Les Auten, um, how did he strike you? Well, I, Les was uh, actually going through the management trainee program at Killington. They were uh, in 1971, might have started in 70, but I'm pretty sure it was 1971. Uh, Killington uh, was, it was leading edge in terms of its investment in staff development in those years, and they used to bring on four or five uh, individuals who, um, you know, sort of minimum criteria, you know, college-educated, interested in the ski business, had some uh, experience, usually at least a year working seasonally, and uh, put them into a program where they rotated through different departments and sort of learned the um, well, pretty much all aspects of the operation. And then at the conclusion of this uh, year-long program, they were typically, in almost all cases, offered a position. And Les uh, went through the management training program, and when he finished it, Killington had just purchased Sunday River, a small ski area in New Remain, and Les went over there as assistant general manager. In fact, I think he, my recollection is that he, uh, I met him the day that he was heading over there. When when I went to Mount Snow, uh, Sunday River was still part of uh, I believe we were called SKI then. The name of the company had originally been Sherburn Corporation. That, that was Killington and Mount Snow uh, and Sunday River. The name changed to SKI, and it was SKI that eventually Les Otten bought in uh, 1996. Um, but just to fill in the blanks a little bit, before that happened, obviously he had purchased Sunday River from the Killington organization, from Sherman Corporation. And I'm not sure exactly the year, but I think it was late 80s. So uh, he had been running Sunday River and developing it uh, on his own and grew that uh, resort at an incredible digit, double-digit pace in the 10 or so years that he had it after Killington's ownership. You know, Sunday River had acquired a number of other resorts, uh, but it was basically a private company that then acquired SKI, took the whole thing private, and then eventually, not uh, long after, I think it was a year or two, he took that public on the New York Stock Exchange as American skiing. But he was also acquiring resorts um, at a frantic pace, you know, Steamboat, Heavenly Valley, you know, and a number of others. Right. How quickly after Steamboat was acquired did you end up heading out there to take a look at it and then eventually manage it? Well, certainly not right away. I mean, he, he uh, I think he closed in November of 97. And uh, so it was really too short a period of time, too close to the ski season for really anything to happen other than to launch into the planning mode. So it was a pretty decent year, as I recollect, in, in Steamboat that year. In fact, it snowed quite a bit. Uh, and they went into the following summer under Les's ownership, the ownership of ASC. Uh, and they installed snowmaking to the top of the mountain, put in a, a whole new skiing area, skiing area called Pioneer Ridge, and several other major investments. And again, Steamboat had not seen a lot in terms of uh, new investment for several years. So, uh, in the early going, uh, you know, this was all very well received by the community. Then, as we got into the following winter of '98-'99, that got off to a poor start. Let's just say the company was 
pretty significantly leveraged by this point in time, and there was full-blown panic hit as they came out of the Christmas holidays. Uh, it was a very poor holiday period. You know, they were looking for cost savings, and that uh, led to the you know, firing of the president of the company and a major staff reduction. That's what started the community negativity. I mean, there'd been sort of growing frustration, uh, maybe with, you know, people hearing things from West that either they chose to misunderstand or uh, whatever. But, you know, while there was issues starting to brew, it was the firing of the president and the laying off of, of several key longtime employees that sort of tipped things over. And it was just after that that I, I went out uh, to see what it, what was going on and then uh, made the decision that this was probably the about as bad as it was going to get. So had nowhere to go but up, and that's when I made the, machine, the decision to take the job. Yeah, the anecdote um, from the book about your first flight out there, and I think Les picked you up at the airport, is just is fantastic. And well, sort you know, of a... we, we flew, that was, I think, my last time in the, uh, first and last time in the corporate jet. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, flew out, because it, it was uh, it was sold shortly thereafter, or they, they stopped making lease payments. Yeah, we left the airport, they had a car there, and uh, almost crashed trying to get the steamboat. And it was wait, it was some wait, kind of some kind of metaphor the for the uh, for the management style was go it fast was, yeah. and and Absolutely. see what happens. Go fast. Absolutely. So that that first year, um, you went out there, I think, without your family, left them back east um, because basically uh, showing up as the new guy in a new ski town with a new ski owner as the new manager is all encompassing. What was that first year like? I mean, putting out the fires, uh, trying to build relationships, uh, trying to basically steady a boat in wild waters. I mean, what do you remember most from that first year? Well, I was the reason the reason the family didn't come out. It was uh, I think the second or third of February, so we're from a third of the way uh, or more through the ski season and my kids were both in high school Wilmington Vermont so company had a condo they rented that I stayed in and and that was actually um, probably key to being able to turn around as quickly as I did I think this you know things were going to improve over time I don't think there was ever any question about that as long as Les who was the you know he was the target of all the animosity for the most part as long as he would, you know, sort of maintain a lower profile, which he did. So we started the healing process, and what I basically what I had to do is make myself accessible and available to anybody and everybody. And I just, you know, I had a long list of people who all wanted to come in and talk to me and complain about uh, what was going on, um, understandable, logical issues that they had, and I just absorbed it all as uh, quickly as I could. But the most important thing was to you know, established that I was there to listen uh, more than anything else. So I'd have to go in. I went to planning commission meetings, city council meetings. I just worked day and night listening and being available. And that built over time enough credibility that uh, we were able to calm the situation down. And as I said, less less recognized that he was the, the lightning rod and he he was generally you know, not around during the, during that period of time. I, I didn't see too many of these in the book, but I'm pretty confident that you had some things said to you in the supermarket. 
I don't know if you remember them, but I mean, even just me being a marketing director or a PR guy, when you're in the supermarket or you're at the bar, you got the target and people come to you and they tell you strange, sometimes offensive, sometimes just weird stuff. Anything jump out? I mean, whether it's the post office or the bar or the supermarket in those first couple of years, you must have been the recipient of some interesting information. You know, when I went to get my post office box, I had to get – if you've ever been to Steamboat in the post office, you can be sure of one thing. There's going to be a line. And as I was standing there, all I, I could hear the buzzing, and it was, that's the guy. That's the guy. The postal employees behind the counter were all looking at me, and there was an older gentleman there that clearly was the one in charge. He can't give me the steely look. All the people in line were kind of shuffling around. At any rate, I, 15 minutes later, I get up to the counter, and I explained I was looking for a mailbox. I just moved to town, and the guy who obviously knew who I was basically said, would that be six months or 12 months? Very sarcastically and i heard all the giggles and such so obviously i think i responded uh, i think i'll do 12 months i'm an optimist so i tell and then the, the story i kind of worse in terms of an experience because when i finally got the key and went back to where the box was the key of course didn't work and i had to come all the way back the guy didn't make me wait in line so i finally it, it was, you know, if if the ride with less was kind of a metaphor for his management style and uh, the whole American skiing company, my post office experience was kind of a metaphor for the uh, transition of leadership um, at Steamboat and everything I had to go through. But it all worked out. You know, you had to listen and keep a sense of humor, which is a sense of perspective, right? As long as people over time... Uh, aren't able to bait you into doing something stupid or as long as you're consistent, predictable, and a good listener, you can work through the, the kind of changes that uh, we were facing then. Well, simply as a as a skier and a uh, resident, I was at uh, Colorado Mountain College Alpine in 1998. So um, uh, I, I did get to ride the lifts under your stewardship and, and uh, they always ran and I always enjoyed the snow. So thank you very much. Um, going forward a few years, obviously some, some years of... Um, you know, steadying the ship, uh, you know, albeit some bumper stickers and things around town that say, what did they say? Less boat, more Otten? No, less, how that did it goes, go? Uh, more boat, less Otten. Yeah, more boat, less Otten stickers, those things and such. Um, eventually, you're back on the on the sales block, and the folks who own Crested Butte and Okimo, the Mueller's, are thinking they're going to acquire. Doesn't happen. Uh, not a lot of people have gone through managing a mountain while it's for sale and then actually the sale getting to the nth table the, the nth day of actually closing and then not closing are there any what ifs in that process where oh if only this had happened or that had happened it all would have worked out differently you never know i mean it's in the past it kind of got to a fork of the road and they weren't able to close on the schedule that american skiing needed to basically avoid bankruptcy i mean it was that kind of situation, frankly. So they needed X million to, to close on a schedule um, to keep the dogs at bay. And when um, the, the Triple Peaks group, which was led by Tim Muller from Okemo, when they couldn't meet that schedule, all the, all the costs were still running, right? So the delay um, made the deal probably one that would not uh, have satisfied 
the bank. So at the end of the day, uh, ASC chose to sell to Heavenly and take the risk of, uh, you know, paying some financial penalties for, for breaking the deal. And that, that's exactly what happened. Eventually they paid $5 million, uh, to the Triple Peaks group because of the canceled deal. But it allowed ASC to move forward because the Heavenly deal was so much better. You know, that said, to manage through that was uh, was very difficult. And that was the, probably the toughest part of my experience in Steamboat was that failed sale because the Triple Peaks folks had been, basically been in town for three months there physically in the offices, assuming that they were going to be the owners. And then, bingo, they weren't. So imagine how the staff would react uh, to that because they were everyone was looking forward to life after the American Skiing Company. You think small ski areas are going to survive, or, or do, do you agree with? Uh, I think uh, Bill Jensen had, had done a done a presentation recently and, and said some percentage of ski areas are just kind of sunsetting. Ah, uh, boy, I, I I'm not sure I could disagree more with what I think his his comment was was more looking at uh, uh, the industry from a financial perspective. I think there are certainly ski areas that have very low operating margins, and there are a number of those with the lowest operating margins that have gone def- have gone defunct. Um, now, that said, every year, uh, these, you know, we read stories of, of uh, resorts coming back, whether, not necessarily the way they were, because their operating model wasn't sustainable, but they don't go, you know, you don't move a mountain from one state to another, it's there. And generally, there's a, a, a number of constituents who are interested enough in its success that it kind of reforms. So you're seeing, you know, some very modest uh, efforts like what you what you detailed at Scutney, where it's basically just going to be probably some rope toes, but a larger recreational, almost a community park type venture with uh, mountain biking trails and so forth. But skiing is still a very important part of it. And every year, there are more community-type hills there, the one-offs like Mad River Glen. I mean, Mad River Glen, we know, without snowmaking and being in Vermont with uh, limited water supply where it's located in the watershed, you know, it probably couldn't compete given given climate change. But there are enough people dedicated to that resort, to that mountain, that they've figured out a way to make it work. People have invested, put capital in, and they put in enough every year to make sure that it can operate. In fact, they, as you know, they refurbished a, a single chair. If that wasn't a statement about the, um, you know, what Mad River is, I don't know what else you could find. But uh, there, there's just every year more and more stories of new community facilities, people finding ways to take what were marginally economic facilities and reinvent them so that they continue to operate. So we've stopped losing ski areas nationally. You should check with NSAA on that for the numbers, but I'm pretty sure we're growing every year now in terms of older facilities coming back. Did you learn anything about yourself or your career in the process of writing this book? Did, I'm sorry, did I learn anything? Yeah. Did did, did the process of actually yeah. writing your book and writing your career uh, make you feel differently about it at all? You know, what I will share, is I've, I've shared this a couple times, people ask me what, what was the best part of, of uh, the actual writing. And the way I would describe it is that I'd never kept a diary or a journal. Fortunately, I self, you know, I saved a bunch of old annual reports so I could get the numbers straight, but I'm not a journal type person. So 
I had to go back and kind of remember these things. And I would start with a memory. Um, you know, maybe I'll use the one when Foster left back in, uh, you know, 1970 to go on his Western trip. And I was, I was there kind of all by myself trying to figure it out. But as I tried to piece together what happened, start thinking about it. And, and all of a sudden, like a door would open. And I remember something that happened. And then maybe I'd place a phone call. And that would open, and I get some information that would open another door. So what it was was a process of discovery and of remembering and bringing some clarity to things that were, yeah, they were in my mind, but they were definitely way back there on the back burner. I hadn't thought of for a long time. So that was, you know, I suppose that that was an exciting and very rewarding experience. And uh, I, I suggested to a couple of good friends who were, I think have great stories to tell that they they get into it. This is the thing that you're going to find most rewarding is if you start to bring back all this stuff in a rush and those memories, the good and the bad, um, it's it's just kind of a very refreshing process. That makes sense. I, I think it does, Chris. You've been all around. You've skied a lot of places. Is there anything still on your list that you want to get to you haven't been to yet? You know, I have never skied Sun Valley. I like to ski it. I, I'm told that you want 3,000 vertical, just great, classic, groomed, black stuff. It's, it is the best. Not the deepest snow, not the best tree skiing. I think we've got all that in, in Colorado and in Steamboat specifically. But for just kind of put your head down and go. Uh, and, and their amenities are just world class. So, yes, that's on my bucket list. And uh, I'm hoping to do it this spring. Well, the title of your book is long, so I'm going to let you say it to close off this interview rather than me. So so go ahead. Can people buy it now? Is it uh, for sale in more than PDF? Oh, it's self-published, so it's not being distributed uh, widely through bookstores. We do have, you know, Wilmington Bookshop, Bartleby's, and then Steamboat, the uh, off the beaten path is carrying it. And, you know, the number of other ski towns that are or will probably be carrying it. The best way to get it for anyone interested is is online. SkiDiamondConsulting.com is my website, and you can click on that and actually takes you to our local bookstore. I wanted to use them for fulfillment, and so you wind up on a page, and they're the, they're, they actually will mail the book out. So that's how you do it, SkiDiamondConsulting.com, and click Buy Now. And that's Chris Diamond, author of Ski, Inc., My Journey Through Four Decades in the Ski Resort Business from the Founding Entrepreneurs, two mega companies his book now available skidiamondconsulting.com and uh chris from someone who spent about eight years in the mega companies um to someone who spent 45 uh well done sir very impressive run okay thank you you have to tell me about your experiences sometime you've been listening i would listen Thanks again to Chris Diamond for writing Ski, Inc. and sharing some time with the podcast and to his daughter Libby for connecting us. If you find the snow business fascinating like I do, definitely a book to pick up. Also want to thank Waterbury Sports in downtown Waterbury, Vermont. Tune your gear, people. Wintry Mix is made possible with support from BPR and their members. Subscribe to Wintry Mix on your iPhone, Android, or wherever you like your podcasts and toss a rating or review. If you appreciate the efforts, wintrymixcast.com is the website. And follow on social to see a mix of snow biz info and my kids misbehaving. 
Okay, back to reading this book. Let me make sure I have the name of that book right. I feel like I had one word messed up. Oh, it's going to be hard. Oh, I need to pull it up from this. She sent me the book as a PDF. 180-page PDF. Where's it at? Oh, there it is, but it's not going to load. All right, we are all set, sir. Thank you so much. We are. All right. Hey, thanks so much, Alex. That was fun. 